0: Welcome to the podcast. Your host Josh Wharton can name the entire starting lineup of the 2001 Seattle Mariners. He's not going to do that right now, but rest assured he can. Here's the Beaver Tales podcast. Welcome to a championship edition of the Beaver Tales podcast. Today we take a trip with a member of the 2018 national champion Beaver baseball team. Kyle Noback was the starting left fielder in all three games of the World Series matchup versus Arkansas. He started his career at Everett Community College in Washington, but after transferring to OSU, he would start 122 games for the Beavers over three successful seasons, capped off by the 2018 World Series, including his momentum-shifting home run in Omaha against Washington that kept OSU's season alive. But Kyle's time at OSU wasn't all roses, His relationship with head coach Pat Casey was strained when he first came to Corvallis, and at first it didn't seem like Kyle would ever see the field for OSU, or maybe even that he might quit the team. He shares how his relationship with Pat Casey changed over the years and how prophetically poignant Case turned out to be. Novak's final game for OSU was the World Series clincher in 2018, so he finished his career on a high note. Since then, he'd started coaching at Everett Community College, his old team, and is their associate head coach, or at least he was, he actually broke the news to me when we chatted a few days ago. And in this conversation you're about to hear, he had actually not yet publicly announced his decision to step down from the program. So you'll hear why that choice was made, as well as his work with Base by Pros. That's an organization based in Linwood, Washington, that trains athletes both physically and mentally and also his role as the head coach of the Bend Elks, a collegiate summer league team that he took over recently. So he's got a lot on his plate. He's made a lot of big life decisions recently, and we chat about that at the beginning of this conversation. Kyle is perhaps the most engaging, passionate person I've ever come across at Oregon State, and this conversation ranks among my favorites. I'd also like to mention our featured charity for this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast, where I like to use this platform to do At least a little good in the world like recognizing some people and organizations that are doing some meaningful helpful work not only during this pandemic but before it and after it that includes food for the hungry which helps provide clean water medical aid food educational opportunities vocational training and empowerment to those in need all over the world you can donate sponsor a child make a difference in the world uh, this organization, I'm familiar with them. They are legitimate and really do some amazing work. They're online at fh.org. That's fh.org. That's Food for the Hungry. All right, here is a Beaver National Champion, a native of Marysville, Washington, now batting number 28, the left fielder Kyle Noback. It's a day early, but uh, happy birthday, Kyle. <laughs> well,
1: I appreciate it. I didn't know you were gonna know it was my birthday tomorrow.
0: <laughs> you turned the big 25, is it? Yes, that is correct, 25. You seem mature for your age, but 25 is a good year. I was going to get whole into how you came to Oregon State and your memories from OSU, but let's kind of jump into what you were telling me at the beginning of our conversation, which by the time people listen to this, this news will be just coming out a couple of days ago. But you've had some big life decisions to wrestle with, and hopefully they're good ones and ones you feel good about, but not easy decisions. Tell me about what's been going on in your mind the last week or so. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so, you know, ever since winning the national championship, I started to give back. I elected to be the associate head coach at a junior college where I was the head coach or the associate head coach there for two seasons. Recently in the quarantine, a lot of things going on. And, you know, I, I got hired as the head coach of the Bendok. So I kind of had my hand, you know, in all these different pots. I was also working for a business called Base by Pros. So, you know, I had a lot of my mental energy in so many different areas. I think one of the biggest things as an athlete that really helped me was being able to really channel my attention and energy into one thing. So, you know, I elected to move forward to put my energy and focus into the base by pro side of things to really, you know, hope to inspire, help and educate not just athletes that are young, but athletes that are in college, people that are still going through, you know, similar experiences. I think just going into the base by pros realm, it kind of helps me not just inspire one team, but it allows me to inspire every single team I get the opportunity to work.
0: So you've had pretty cool opportunities to coach both at Everett, where you played for a year before coming to Oregon State. You are working with Base by Pros, an organization that was started by Mitch Canham and works real closely with prospects coming up. And you're coaching with the Ben Elks, a collegiate summer league team. Tell me how difficult that was to balance all of them and what led you to realize I need to make a decision and change what's going on in my life.
1: Yeah, you know, I think life's all about balance, man. I think you can go too far into one side or you can go too far into the other side. And, you know, honestly, probably a lot of the reason why I'm telling you that now is because as a player, I didn't understand what balance was. I was a walk-on, man. I had an extreme mentality. I had an extreme work ethic that I knew I had to really work hard if I wanted a chance to play. So, you know, learning that balance and really learning how to juggle things has truly, you know, I would say expedited my own maturity and understanding what it takes to be great at something. We were talking about before the show when we won the national championship, I thought, you know, success brought all this happiness. To find out it doesn't really work like that in life. In reality, if we want to have success, we first have to be happy inside. We first have to grow. We first have to be so prepared to be able to go in and inspire people. That brings to success.
0: I can think of stories of people who got to the highest peak got to where they thought would bring them validation and meaning and realized it wasn't really as fulfilling as they expected it to be. So for you, where does that happiness come from? Where where do you find that meaning where maybe it's not a national title as amazing as that is to hoist the the trophy in Omaha, but what is it that you actually look to for happiness?
1: That's a tough question. It's tough to pinpoint because I love baseball. It's something that I've always done since I was a little kid, and, and I love teaching people the game of baseball without questions. But Oregon State and, and the experience that I had as a student athlete it absolutely changed my life. So, a lot of it was Pat Casey, and a lot of how I thought when I showed up to Oregon State, it took this, this is the best way to explain it. When I showed up, everything that I stood for and believed in was stripped away from me, and I was remolded into a different person. And the ability to be able to have that knowledge and then go back and help other people. And, and I'm talking strictly mindset. I'm talking about the attitude behind our lives is what changed for me. And, and it was a lot of what Pat Casey taught me. And, you know, I think I have the ability to, you know, influence and help people. I, w- I don't, I don't want to say motivate because I think motivation is a word that is, is mis- you know, interpreted. People don't really understand what it means to motivate somebody. It means to explain why, explains why the things that they're going to do and how it's going to help them. And, you know, I think the experiences and everything that I've done as a player and now learn as a coach, I w- I'm able to formulate it through a business to be able to go out and influence people on why they should do these things, how it's going to help them.
0: So how does that translate now to your coaching with the Bend Elks, when you get these collegiate players who come into Bend and you coach them for just a few months in a summer league as they're trying to develop, and you work with Base by Pros where you're coaching them up in a, in a more hands-on basis, yeah. then how do you coach those players and how do you try to take what you've learned, some, mm-hmm. some lessons that you've really processed through and, and put deep into your soul, how do you get uh, these youngsters to start to go on that process themselves?
1: Yeah, you know, I said the first thing obviously is, is me. It starts with me. So, we talked a little bit about going into base by pros. I've been doing a lot of blogging. I've been doing a lot of writing, just getting my thoughts on the paper. When I was a kid and when I was in English class, you know, growing up and I was trying to remember concepts, I'd always, you know, do these memorizations and I'd write it all down so I'd remember it. So, kind of the idea of the blogging side of it is the same thing. I'm remembering and I'm storing everything in my mind almost like a computer program. So now, when I walk into a locker room, when I walk into you know a room full of 35 to 40 guys, it comes out. It, it, it's free. And the things that I'm saying are authentic and are real. They're, they're what I've experienced. And just using that message, using the knowledge, being able to formulate it in a message that is simple, clear, and concise. And to get every single guy that comes and to get to play for me or have an opportunity to play with me, my mission is to just send them back better than when they came to me. And that is truly my mission. So, you know, it, it is a little different. You know, when you're doing a team aspect, you're the leader of an entire organ- organization. It's not just the team. It's everything. It's everything involved. It's getting everybody in that organization to do more than they thought possible. At the same time, you need to care about them, but you need to lead them. And by leading them, I mean, you need to build relationships. You need to connect with these people. So my mission coaching And a locker room is a lot different than it is one-on-one session. I'm really trying to connect with a one-on-one kid and teach hitting and do this. But when we're in Bend, Oregon, and I'm coaching the Elks, it's a completely different approach to it.
0: So now you've made a big decision, which um, you're going to kind of talk about and release and do some blogs and put that all online. And you've already told Everett in terms of the administration, the coaches, and I believe the players, all of them. So they're aware that you're stepping down. But that was a tough decision. But you're trying to do it. Basically, you're only doing it because you think it's the right thing. And you hope that in the grand scheme of things for your life and the players, people you interact with, it'll ultimately result in better coaching better relationships all that what what is your goal for how this as tough of a decision as it is and how much you know work you've put in um, at Everett what's your goal for how this decision to, to step aside from Everett will affect you and the people you interact with going forward yeah
1: so my goal is to really be able to basically like I said base take all my stories take everything that I've you know experienced as a kid or as a player or as a coach anything in my life put it on the paper use the things that I've learned at Base by Pros, use the things that have continued to help me grow in the business model and the mental skills that we already teach and be able to formulate a message that I can teach through the things that I've did and be able to go inspire, say, other Division One programs, other collegiate athletes, and, and really just give back. I think one of the biggest things for me growing up as an athlete is Everything's about knowledge and education, and it takes money to get that. I'm not saying I didn't have money growing up as a kid, but I wasn't rich. I wasn't receiving this incredible, incredible training as a kid. So for me, my mission truly, and, and this is to the core, is just to help and inspire whoever I can, because I didn't understand this when I was a kid. And I had to go through it. and I had to really face adversity and extreme things of injury and, and pain and, and things that truly just made me who I was. So I want to be able to help people so they don't make the same mistakes that I did. I want to help educate them.
0: What does a day in the life of Base by Pros look like when you go in there? What, what, what kind of things you're doing there day to day and how are you coaching the guys?
1: Yeah. So, you know, even when I was still coaching at Everett, I was co- I was, you know, still working for the business. I'd roll in there in the morning times and, and i do admin stuff. So I'd be the administrator for a lot of the business. I'd take a lot of the phone calls. I do a lot of the scheduling. I do a lot of basically just connecting to our clients. You know, that's what business is, is the relationships number one within our staff, with inside, you know, our business and our culture and basically pros, we need to make that as best as possible. And then on the other side, we need to have you know, every relationship that is with our client needs to be personal. We need to connect with them. And that's truly how you get the most out of something. So, you know, I, w- I would spend a lot of time doing administration stuff. I would, you know, do some building in terms of putting together some mindset training series stuff. We, we created a mindset program that's called Just Play, Play Versus Pressure. It's basically 16 chapters. So, I would do administration in the mornings. I'd go to Everett practice and then I'd come back and I'd instruct athletes. So I have a clientele where I meet these kids one-on-one or these, I shouldn't say kids, the athletes would meet one-on-one. We would start every single lesson in a classroom for the first 15 minutes. So basically this story and the, the booklet that we put together, we would teach out of that. We made these videos on YouTube. There's 16 of them. They're roughly about five minutes a piece but we tell stories through them. The greatest teacher of all time was Jesus. He taught through parables. So that was kind of our mindset behind, okay, how are we going to teach our athletes? Let's use stories. We need something that's going to stick to their minds. So we started telling stories through made up, I should say, stories to teach these mental skills. And then it kind of went a a little bit further and we started doing these Zoom meetings and stuff. And Brent's like, hey, why don't you blog about some of your stories? Why don't you use a lot of what you have had to explain how this stuff works because it's real it's not made up you've actually done it and you know i i think that's powerful and you know i think i'm hoping if i release that out there that that people you know look at it as i'm trying to help them i'm not trying to talk about myself talk about the experience i have had or 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 stroke my own ego or whatever you want to say because it's not about me it's about other people
0: i've never heard of using Jesus's parables as a design for baseball coaching but I like it I mean he was a good teacher so to to emulate that it, it could be impactful where can people find your blog which will be out by the time people listen to this and what do you hope people get out of of your blogs
1: the blog will be on by Pro pros on the website just under the blog ar- archives um, I've written a couple already I've written one was on senior day and one was on coach Casey the blogs are just a variety of, of different ways for me to kind of just get stories out I think what I wanted to use the blogs or what a blog is usually used for is most authors or people that are you know intending to write a book usually do it in blog form first they put it out on blogs to see what people think and then eventually they take that information and they expand on it and you know a lot uh, some of this has come from you know I've had a lot of great mentors man I, I met a lot of great people after playing co- collegiate sports you know i one of my biggest mentors he's an author he's written five books He's a mental performance coach. His name's Colin Henderson. He played baseball and football at Washington State. He's a guy that I've consistently met with over and over and over. I'm actually going to take a certification test. I'm going to be a mindset coach. So he's got a 30-lesson course that you got to go through and take a video, and then you take a test and you get certified. So just basically building and, and trying to make myself the best person possible in all areas, in all phases of it.
0: You brought up Pat Casey as one of the, the subjects of the blog, so I'm sure we'll, we'll come up time to time. Let's talk about Pat and where your coaching philosophy comes from, how much he impacts that. And I'm going to start with the tough parts because I know how difficult it was at the beginning, but we'll, we'll get to the later part of the story and where your relationship is now. But let's start with the first part of it. When you first came to Oregon State, you come up from Everett and... Maybe he coaches different guys differently. Maybe he's not always this tough on every guy. But for whatever reason, he felt that Kyle Novak needed some tough loving. And so, you know, when you couldn't get a bunt down, he'd he'd tell you to go enjoy the bench. You're never going to play for me. Go stick your head in a jar and examine it. Guys gave you the nickname Jarhead. I know your relationship probably doesn't look like that now with Pat. But before we come back to the, the second half of the story but take me to the zenith, the bottom of your relationship with Pat Casey.
1: You know, I'd say it was probably really that first I, three months or so. I mean, break it was fall ball. That was really where where I struggled the most. And I think being out of it, being removed, you know, as many years as I am now, I understand a lot of it. I do. I, I since becoming a coach, I get it. But in the moment, I truly, I wasn't mature. I didn't understand. I didn't know how to handle somebody coming at me. And that's exactly what Pat did. He challenged not me physically, but he challenged every single ounce of my mindset in various ways. He would say things to me. He would talk, you know, he would taunt me, you know, whenever he came around, I, I can't even explain it. Pat Casey's almost like Darth Vader. He, he's got this this energy and this presence about him that when he walks in a room, you don't even see him yet, but you know he's there. And it's real. It's something I've never experienced. And obviously I'm, I'm, I'm probably making up It sounds like a fantasy, but the fact of the matter is, is I viewed it, and I wrote about this in the blog, is I always viewed Pat as a threat. I always viewed everything that he was doing as a threat, and, you know, we go look at the science actually behind fear, and we start studying. Our mind actually has, you know, chemicals in our brain. It's called a biochemical response. When we get fear, you have a biochemical response, which is multiple chemicals in your brain reacting that actually cause a physical reaction to fear. Now that could be sweaty hands, that could be increased heart rates, or that could be increased levels of of adrenaline, also known as fight or flight, right? Now, the other part you can deem fear as you have these two categories. So you have your biochemical and you have the emotional side of things. The emotional side of things really depends on the situation at hand and the individual right? So this is what I didn't get. You imagine this, right? So you and I, we we were in the jungle, right? And we saw a tiger. If that tiger was chasing us, we would no questions feel that fear, right? Mm -hmm. Now we go to the zoo and you see that tiger in the cage. How are you looking at that tiger now? Not fearful. Yeah. You don't look at it as a threat anymore. You look at it as a challenge, right? So the whole time that I struggled with Pat, the first four months, it wasn't easy. But there was this, this, this voice, this whisper that was deep inside my soul that talked to me, that would say, stand your ground, fight back, compete, keep going in. And that's exactly what I did. And we got back from Christmas break. I was a walk-on, so I wasn't guaranteed a roster spot. So we were practicing, and I, uh, one day I officially found out that I made the roster. So I went up to Case, you know, and uh, I felt pretty good. You know, I had endured a lot of adversity. I thought the coach hated me. I made the team. I felt worthy. All I ever wanted to do since I was a kid is win a national championship. And I go up to Coach Casey and I look at him in the face and I go, Coach, you know, I I get it. I understand. You want me to be good. And he turned, he looked at me into my soul. And you know what he said? He said, Son, I don't want you to be good. I want you to be great. And from that moment forward, I no longer viewed Pat as being a threat. I viewed it as a challenge. Does that make sense?
0: I got you. So it seems like he was working the controls almost, and perhaps you of all players would see that. You were a sociology major at Oregon State. Maybe you, you saw this, especially in retrospect now, how much do you look back on it and see, as difficult as it got, as hard as he was on you, as low of a moment as you maybe considered leaving the team and I don't want to do this anymore? When you lack, look back on it, do you realize what he was doing? That he had this plan all all in mind. You, he wanted you to have that epiphany.
1: Yeah, you know, no questions. I, I think Pat knew that. I grew up most of my life. I was tough. I grew up in a blue collar family. I worked. I knew what work was. I knew what hard work was. But when I showed up. I didn't really understand. And he knew it. He could tell. He knew that if I was ever going to play at Oregon State, he needed to see if I I was capable. He needed to figure it out. There was no time to waste. We're a top program in the country. He needed to see if I was worthy enough, and if I wasn't, it was time to go. That's how the program works. It's the best of the best. It's the, it's the cream of the crop. If you're, not, if you're not performing at a high level, you're gone. That's just the way it is. We want to win, and, and that was the culture at Oregon State. He wanted to see what I was made of, and I showed him what I was made of.
0: Take me to where your relationship is now with, with Case. Do you still call him sometimes? Do you still chat? Is it a, a good relationship where you've stayed in touch and it's way different than that bottom moment? What does your relationship look like with him now?
1: Yeah, you know, obviously, that's when the relationship happens is when you leave. You know, I, at the moment in time, he wasn't trying to make relationships. He was trying to win a national championship. He was trying to get us to do more than we ever thought possible. That's what the job of a coach is: is to take your perspective and completely rewire it. And that's what Pat did. You know, our relationship today is awesome. He he texted me on um, on Easter. He said, "Happy Easter, Noby. I miss the energy, the fight, and the spirit that you brought to the Oregon State baseball team. Never again will there be more w- warriors in one room unless this country goes to war." He loved us. I mean, he absolutely did. And, you know, I think to to understand at the point that he was at in his career. You know, he he retired after winning that national championship. I think he was at the end of it. And to know that he truly changed somebody's life and not just my life, but everybody's life shows how incredible he is and how cr- incredible of not just a coach he was as a person, man. He was bold. He had bold attitudes. He had a bold mindset and it was contagious. That's what, that's what a leader is. It starts, it starts at the very top and it trickled down all the way down the chain of command.
0: Coaches have different philosophies of do you want your players to get motivated? And maybe motivated isn't the right word for reasons you brought up, but to work hard because of how much they fear the coach versus how much they love the coach and just want to work for him because they enjoy him. I've heard it said that fear is the lesser of the two because the players aren't enjoying it or won't ultimately get them to work hard and you want them to respect and love you, and that's the whole idea. But at least for you, maybe he didn't coach every player the same way. But there was an element of fear in the beginning. It changed. It morphed to a challenge and respect. But for a little while, it was fear. That was what he was going for. So when you look back on that, do you have the same feeling that sometimes a coach can instill fear and that's actually not a bad thing? Is that a a reasonable way for a a coach to lead his players?
1: Yeah, without questions, you know, and and you're exactly right. You think of it like this. Being a coach is difficult, man. You understand the game one way entire entirely. And then you got to turn around and explain it 35 different ways to human beings that all think differently. It's not easy. So absolutely Pat knew dang well that what he did to me, he couldn't do to somebody else, or there was somebody on the team that if he did that to him, it, w- it wasn't going to work. And that's why he was so incredible. He could just see it. And basically it was like a test. It was like, this kid's either going to pass the test or he's going to fail the test. It was either or. And he understands. He's mature enough to be in his life. And, you know, it's a lesson that I've learned. That at the end of the day, the only person we can control is ourselves. And if we understand that we are capable of doing it and we make the switch on our own, that is how greatness comes. It, it, it can't come from somebody else. It has to come from with inside who we are and, and inside your soul.
0: I want to ask one more kind of broad question about your career and what you've learned, and then we'll kind of get into some play-by-play memories of the World Series In what you've learned from Coach Casey in your time playing and then coaching at Everett at Base by Pros, your short time with the Bend Elks where you haven't even had a season with them yet, and that's all up in the air. Yeah. What do you think – is going to be the key for you to be successful as a person however you may define success and that's p- as part of this question is to define what is successful and then how are you going to achieve it if, of the next let's say five years what is going to define success for Kyle Novak yeah. from 2020 to 2025?
1: Yeah you know, I, I think I told you my mission you know we talked about having philosophies as a coach I mean I think the missing ingredient in anybody's success is a philosophy and understanding a why for what what they do every single day you know my mission is I told you I'm going to inspire when I'm at the Bend Elks I want to inspire every single kid that walks into that locker room to to help them to educate them to connect with them to love them and build a relationship with them because that's what it's truly about at the end of the day it's about building relationships with your players and you can do it in certain ways right not everybody, you can build a relationship the same way, just like Pat taught me. But I think moving forward, whatever it is, whether you play you play sports, you, you wanna write a, a book, you wanna start a business, you're trying to get your college degree, it doesn't matter. This is what I've learned about success. It's like me holding my phone right now. If I drop my phone, the law of gravity tells me that that phone is gonna hit the table. It's gonna hit the desk that I'm sitting at right now. The law of success tells me desire back to my faith if i have a desire a relentless burning desire inside me as a person to do something more than i've ever wanted to do with my life backed by a belief system that i can actually do it that is how you have success so to answer my answer your question my, my definition of success is to to inspire to help if, if i can just inspire one or two people wherever i talk to whoever i talk to whoever i get to coach i am being successful and, and at the end of the day That is my life mission, and and that's how I define the success.
0: More than most conversations I have, I have a desire to go back and listen to this whole conversation back just to glean more nuggets from what you said. I love your fire and your passion. Let's close with just a a bunch of questions. I'm just going to rattle them off one after the other for a while about the World Series, and you've got an Omaha shirt on right now, so perfectly appropriate. Mostly I'm just going to ask about the Arkansas Series, but I got one – the washington game you've got a four and a half hour delay you hit the three run homer that kind of swings the momentum if it hadn't already switched after that delay how did that that weather delay affect the game and what was it like to hit that homer
1: it's crazy man it it seems like everything that we did pat casey (laughs) was preparing us you know there'd be times where we'd be you know in the middle of the fall in 2018 And we'd be in a scrimmage, and it'd start raining, pouring down rain. And he'd pull everybody off the field for 20 minutes and make us sit in the dugout. And then he'd put us back on the field. And basically what he was practicing was adversity's coming. We have no idea when it's coming. And this is something Pat would always talk about. We don't know when it's coming. But what matters is when it comes, what we do. And that's why Oregon State baseball was so incredible is our ability to be able to mentally keep ourselves focused, to mentally be able to understand this was the most important thing in the world to us right now. And that's why Pat was so incredible. When we came out of that rain delay, 35 guys sat in that locker room playing games of mafia, listening to music, building a culture, sitting next to Drew Bonheimer, who was a kid in a wheelchair who was hanging out with us. We were having the times of our lives. We knew this was the best time of our life. And when we rolled out, we walked down that tunnel and we were, I'll never forget it. I can see the field. I can see us running down the tunnel. I could just feel the energy just walking down, coming out of that rain delay. And there was absolutely no doubt in my mind. And I could feel it in everybody else's mind about what we were about to do because we had trained. And you think of it like this. You don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your training. We trained extremely extremely hard to do what we got to do when I got up to the plate against you know the Huskies after Gretler hit that double we had just taken the lead I remember I swung at a pitch I swung through it it was the same pitch it was up and out and I, I got two strikes on me I'm nervous I'm looking at coach Jenkins I, I I catch a glimpse at coach Casey in the dugout he's screaming at me he's telling me to stay through the baseball stay through the baseball and I'm like he's right I pulled off it I took a really really deep breath and I, and I always had the same routine and I mastered myself to get it down. I had all these thoughts when I was in Oregon state and I was able to get it down to one thought. And it was always, I'm a beast. I'm a beast. I would connect to my breath. I would find my focal point And I'd said, I'm a beast. Stay through this pitch. And he threw the same exact pitch and I caught full barrel on it. And you know, that was a moment in my life. You know, there was a lot of times when I was playing for Oregon state, I wrote about this in a blog that, that I'm going to post today. It's called flow, but this idea, this, this state that we, we get into as performers, where there is so much focus, so much attention and energy into one thing that we lose sense of space and time. Nothing else matters. And I was in that moment. I was running the bases. And, you know, I had been through so much adversity that it just built this confidence in, in, in me. And, and I think our entire team just, just felt everything. We, just, we ran with it. And, and every single guy was stepping up. It wasn't just me. We all were bold. We all had that attitude, and it came from Pat Casey.
0: That's great. You come into that lay down by one. You switch the momentum. It felt like you could have scored 15 or 20 runs in that game. You nearly got there and and absolutely dominate Washington in an elimination game. Your season could have been over right there. Let's go to the, the final series, best of three against Arkansas. Coming into that series, what did you know about the Razorbacks? Did you know any of their players and how good that they were coming into uh, that three-game set?
1: No, absolutely. I mean, at this point in time, you know, shoot, just two of the best teams in America playing each other. So, absolutely. I mean, this is the highest level of baseball we could possibly play at in college. So. Everything was elite. Scouting reports were elite. We knew exactly where we had to be on what position, who was hitting. Our coaches were incredible. They watched film. They they studied for us. We had meetings and meetings and meetings before the national championship. Our preparation was absolutely elite, and you know that's that's credit to not just Pat Casey but the entire staff. You know everybody there was dedicated to winning. So absolutely, we we knew a lot. I actually still have the scouting report of the entire lineup in my phone, um, but you know obviously, yeah, they were good. We knew they were good, but. I think at the same time, we knew we were the best team in the country. And we knew that at the end of the day, our attitude, it didn't matter who the heck we were playing. We were Oregon state. We were the Beavers. We were the big house. We were the team everybody wanted to play. And that is the attitude we possessed. And the only reason why we possessed that was because of Pat.
0: So now take me to how you felt after game one, you're down one, Oh, you got to win two straight. Where was your confidence level at then?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say the confidence level was down. You know, I think the attitude of all of us, man, is, is we were never out of the fight. We always had a chance. You know, I mean, shoot, we were down to our last strike in that game, too. You know, uh, with Kaden. obviously, I'm jumping ahead. But I think, you know, everybody on our team knew that we could still win. It wasn't, it wasn't impossible. So, you know, every single guy was going to be bold. Every single guy was going to lay it all on the line because this was it. We spent three, four years together. You know, some of us had grown up since we were little kids together. We were putting it on the line, and it didn't matter. We were going to fight. We weren't going down. Just just going to roll over.
0: Yeah. Now, take me to the sixth inning. At this point, you're trailing three to two. This is game two. You get pulled out in the sixth inning. Jack Anderson comes in to pinch hit for you. Did it register in that moment that since you're trailing by one, and this is an elimination game, if Oregon State doesn't make a comeback, your career is over, you're a senior, and you don't have any ability to affect that. Because you can't come back in, you can't hit, you can't play. That could have been the last time you ever wore a Beaver uniform. Was that hitting you as you were in the dugout in case he was putting in Jack Anderson?
1: I mean, one of the things I always try to do on the on field was always be aware of my thoughts. What was going through my mind? Absolutely, it went through my mind. You know, I, but at the same time, you know, 80% of human thought is negative it's always gonna give us our negative thoughts. So I was always trying to train that out of myself. And so, of course I was aware of it, but in the moment I switched out of it, I said, we can do this, we can fight. You know, and I I tried to be a cheerleader. I tried to help. Every single pitch that I watched, I was a fan at this point. The emotions were so high. I felt like I lost 10 years on my life. Every single pitch. I mean, everything was riding on the moment. So 100%, you know, I, I sat there and, you know, I still believe, Phil. I still believe. I, I, I remember I went to the restroom, and it was the ninth inning. I was walking by. I remember Larnick was fired up. He came in after a bat. He had struck out. He, he was struggling. I don't think he had a hit yet in the game. And I remember saying, hey, saying to him, hey, Trap, like, go play D, man. Like, we're going to need you. We're going to need you in a little bit. And they went back out on D. A couple innings went by. Then the ninth came by. I remember walking. <clears throat> I know you were going to ask me this question. I'll just go ahead and start explaining it. I remember walking out of the bathroom right? I just used the restroom out of the tunnel. I'm walking down and the entire College World Series ground crew has every single piece of celebration gear out for Arkansas. And I'm thinking, dude, these people gave up on us. They have no idea who we are. It's the top of the night. Zach Taylor leads off. We get runners on. Now we're two outs. We got that runner on third, cadence up. The pop-up happens. I remember I was sitting at the very end of the dugout I watched that ball go up. And instantly when it went up, I thought, man, it's hard to hear verbals. There's 25,000 people in the stadium. It's hard to hear what the person's saying to the left of me right now. So it's dang hard to hear somebody going, ball, 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 you know, running in. So it was a tough play. But when that ball hit, we had life. And when Caden got that hit, that is arguably one of the most clutch hits I've ever witnessed in my entire life. I remember it was... I went down to Las Vegas for a wedding, one of the coaches on the Everett CC staff, and I was sitting in Caden's living room with him and his father, you know, months after winning the national championship. And he looked at me and he said, dude, my legs were shaking in that box. And I, I couldn't imagine. And, and I thought that was the most clutch hit ever. And then Trev comes up and I'm sitting at the end of the dugout. I got my arm around Luke Heimlich, we're sitting here and the count goes 2-0 and that lefty's throwing 95 miles an hour. And I was sitting next to Luke. And, and and Trevor, I've never met a man like Trevor Larnick. He worked harder than anybody I've ever met in my entire life. Almost to the point, it was it's like an obsession of hitting and, and the ability to be great. He had worked so hard. It was 2-0. And, oh, and I remember sitting there and I was just whispering to Luke. I said, don't be late. Don't be late. Don't be late. And he got that inner half fastball and he sure in the hell wasn't late. And I mean... In that moment, I wasn't even in the performance doing it, but I felt the flow. I felt the same feelings that I had when I was performing. Nothing else mattered. It was so much bigger than my own self or Luke or, or, or Gretler or Nick Madrigal. It, it was the Oregon State Beavers. We were inspiring an entire community, not just us.
0: That hit on all the major moments right there. And I can see how impactful was the conversations you have months later, years later, the rest of your life that game gets you to 1-1 in the series it's not over yet and you had correct me if I'm wrong you had one day off and then game three or was game three the very next day
1: I think it was the next day because what happened was we got the first game right now that's
0: right yeah
1: it went one two three yeah
0: so how did you spend that evening of game two after you win how much sleep did you get and what what happened in the hours in between game two and three
1: yeah, I mean, Omaha pretty much consisted of half a month of this. We were at the baseball field, or we practiced, or we were at the zoo, or we were in our hotel room, and everybody was hanging out. I mean, our team loved each other, man. Like, you think of it like this. Like, how do you build a culture? How do you love something? You spend time with it. You spend time with it. And that's what we did. We had spent so much time together. You know, we, we went back, and, you know, if we weren't on the baseball field, everybody, there was, there was 15 people in a room hanging out. Just chatting just just being friends we had connected and everybody spent time together so you know I think when we won that game there was no doubt when we walked on that bus we were gonna win the national championship and I think I speak for every single guy in that organization because it took it took Arkansas soul we took their soul they were down to the final strike thinking they were gonna win and we came back and said not today and, and that was the entire attitude of our team and I collectively felt, that emotion, there was no doubt in my mind what was going to happen the next game.
0: How soon in game three did you realize Kevin Abel was going to pitch all nine innings?
1: I mean, it was the eighth inning and I couldn't imagine. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't even believe what I was watching. I, I mean, two months ago, we were at the University of Arizona. He struck out the side. We're beating him, about to beat him in the series. And he's taunting the dugout, comes out the next half, loads the bases and blows the game. Two months later, he throws a two-pitch shutout in the national championship as a freshman. I mean, it was impressive, but it shows what the mental game can do for you because he dedicated to it. He was dedicated to it. It was the only thing that was prohibiting to him. You think of it like this. In life, everything happens twice. First in our minds, then in real life. That's what Kevin was able to do. He practiced. He believed in his abilities to actually do it, and he did it. It was awesome. It was amazing
0: there could have been a lot of distractions. There was a weird moment in the third inning of that game three where Zach Barr, the director of video and scouting for Arkansas got ejected. There was a whole, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I was watching the TV broadcast. I was like, wait, what, who got ejected? What what in the world's happening? What happened there from you? Did you know what was happening or how did they relay that info to you?
1: Yeah, I think that was, uh, he was arguing balls and strikes or something if I remember correctly, but I absolutely remember, you know, that guy getting yard. That was game three. Mm -hmm. That was when it was over. Yeah. I mean, that just emotions were high, man. It was an emotional stage. This was the biggest stage that any of us have ever had ever played, ever even dreamed about playing on, you know, obviously, you know, there's a lot of guys on that team that, you know, got to go on and play and are going to play at higher levels of baseball. But, you know, for a lot of us, that was, that's as good as it's ever going to get for us.
0: Take me to the final moment. Top in the ninth, Luke Bonfield's at the bat for Arkansas. It's a 5-0 ball game. It seems over even if he gets a hit. Now, what does it matter? You're going to get the out at some point. Two outs, nobody on, full count. Kevin Abel strikes him out. Take me to that moment. What do you do in the celebration? Do you even remember what you did first? Who did you hug? Did you throw your glove in the air? Is it all a blur? Take me through your mind there.
1: No, I absolutely totally remember it. I mean, I was in left field, but we just scored that that go-ahead run. You know, it was four nothing going in the eighth, and then it was five nothing going into the ninth, and you know that last run really solidified it. My roommate Zach Taylor got a hit to uh to clinch that RBI. You know, that was awesome. Just to, I mean, the the amount of stories and, and the amount of adversity, and and it was so much bigger than me that in the moment, nothing mattered. There was it wasn't selfish. It it, it I wasn't thinking about myself. It was just this pure joy. I just remember. I was in left field, and there was a sea of red in the stadium. There was thousands of Arkansas fans. And you could just hear those B fans screaming. And I ran in, and I, I hugged Nick and, and Caden short, and everybody was dogpiling behind the mound. And I sprinted at that dogpile as hard as I could, and I jumped as high as I could. And I, and I kept and held on. And, you know, I just remember just screaming and just, just hugging and just seeing my family. All of our families were on the field. Everybody was on the field, and it was just – a moment in time where I had put not just me but every single guy that was on that team had put so much effort into wanting to have greatness and we had just done it and you know it it showed us that you know together if enough individuals are willing we can do anything we want to that's the mm-hmm. biggest lesson it taught me and, and that's what Oregon State taught me is together if, if enough individuals are willing it can becomes a team's will, and we can win and do anything we want.
0: Yeah, you're now with your role with the band Elks. One of your assistant coaches is Joey Wong, a guy who also won a national championship with Oregon State eleven years before you did. Do you ever compare the two national national championship teams? Do you say, "Hey, my team could have beat yours, Joey"? Does he go the other way? Have those conversations go with him?
1: Oh, you know, I, I think that's funny. You know, I it kind of brings me back to—I uh, don't know. If you ever seen that interview with Bill Rao in the in the locker room after we beat uh, we beat Arkansas after that game? If somebody, you got to go find it, Josh. It's hilarious. It's because Bill Rao was on the O sixteen, so it's, he's videoing him in the locker room after we won, and Bill's talking about O six. He's like, "This is nothing compared to what we did. These guys are crazy." But no, I don't, I don't think we compare, man. I I think what Pat Casey built was a a legacy a, a culture a a a family and by family i mean forget about me i love you and we cared about each other and it didn't matter if it's 06 98 97 what you're a beef you're a beef that's who we are and you know, I think collectively all of us kind of have some sort of Pat Casey in our souls and into uh, who we are as people. So I think if anything, we connect, we just want to help other people. We want to help spread the love and spread the message that we got to learn and, and through those experiences. So I'm sure we'll, we'll probably talk about it at some point, Joey and I on the road, but you know, I, I don't think it's a, I did this, you did this. If anything, it's, hey man, we did this together and we did more than we ever thought we could.
0: Kyle, I feel like I could talk with you all day, but uh, we'll leave it there for now. I hope to get in contact with a bunch of other players in the team and really put together a solid look at that national championship team. Best of luck to you coaching the Elks and everything you've got going on, uh, you know, based by pros and, and your future. It seems like you got a lot on your plate, but I think you can handle it well. So th- thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
1: If you need anything, Josh, you need me contacts, let me know.
0: Well, I'm going to take Kyle up on that offer to connect with more players from that 2018 team to set up additional interviews and take a look through the players' eyes of that championship squad to give you the opportunity to hear some fun stories, how Pat Casey affected them, what their life has been like since the championship in 2018. What a fun conversation it was with Kyle. And this opportunity to continue talking with 2018 championship players is actually the perfect time to announce something I'm going to do with this podcast going forward, Normally, every episode is a where-are-they-now conversation where the entire episode is one interview with a particular player about their career and what they've done since then. However, I'm also going to start developing a documentary on not just one player's career, but a particular game or a particular season in Beaver lore, one of them being the 2018 National Championship run for Beaver Baseball. So instead of one player being the entire episode— It'll be a deep dive look with narration and a variety of player interviews, reporters, broadcasters, all in one episode looking back at a particular game, whether it be the 2018 National Championship, perhaps the 2015 Basketball Civil War, where Wayne Tinkle started five walk-ons all from Oregon, or the 2016 Football Civil War, or more. I'm going to start developing these interviews and cutting pieces out of them. Sometimes I'll actually cut out some of their answers and use them exclusively for the documentary style. Sometimes you'll still hear all that conversation in the Where Are They Now episode, but you'll definitely hear Kyle Novak on that documentary when it comes out on the 2018 National Squad. That's getting more of a long-term project once I talk with a handful of the players, as many as I can get a hold of. So that's more down the road, but something to look forward to, and you'll definitely hear more conversations with players from that team. I hope you liked this episode with Kyle Noback. There was so much to talk about with Kyle. I didn't even get to all of the storylines. He's got a Jake Luton connection. He and the recent Oregon State quarterback grew up near each other in Marysville and played on the same football team in high school, ran the wing T offense and broke a lot of records. Uh, Kyle also coached Jordan Luton. That's Jake Luton's brother at Everett Community College. So there's a, a close family connection with the Nobacks and the Lutons as well. As always, leave a rating if you can. Really helps out, and continue to listen for more episodes of the Beaver Tales Podcast.